What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Get Over Yourself podcast, a podcast dedicated to self-development, self-improvement, and helping you achieve the goals that you've laid forth in your life. I'm your podcast host, Brandon Davis, and in today's episode, I'll be interviewing Jonasen Goldson, a rabbi who has a very interesting journey on how he has created his own beautiful life and his own unique takes to life. If today's audio sounds a little bit different from usual, I apologize. I'm still moving into my new apartment, and I haven't quite figured out the situation yet, so bear with me. Luckily, Jonasen's audio sounds great. Jonasen Goldson is the Director of Ethical Imperatives, LLC, and works with business leaders to build a culture of ethics, setting higher standards to limit liability while earning loyalty and trust. He's a keynote and TEDx speaker. Likewise, he's a rabbinic scholar and repentant hitchhiker in St. Louis. He has published hundreds of articles applying ancient wisdom to the challenges of the modern world, and six books, most recently, Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business prosperity, which he has adapted into a weekly live stream panel discussion. Jonasen is also co-host of the weekly podcast, The Rabbi and the Shrink, Everyday Ethics Unscripted and publisher of the new medium blog, The Ethics Ninja. Jonasen, thank you so much for joining us here on today's podcast. And guys, let's get into it. Okay, so Jonasen, as I mentioned in the introduction to kind of tell everyone about yourself, you went through this period in your life where you graduated from UC Davis with a degree in English, and then it seemed kind of like you had a different life journey. You started going and you started traveling and learning new life experiences and whatnot. But can you tell the audience a little bit about your time at UC Davis and what it meant to you and how it has kind of helped prepare you for the life you're living now? Yeah, I, I went to a col- I went to college at a time when uh, you know intellectual inquiry was still uh, <laughs> was still fairly common, and um, I, I really didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to do in life. I'd always loved to write, and so I gra- gravitated towards English. I loved um, I loved the drama of stories unfolding, and uh, I loved the texture of language to communicate ideas. And, and I love the ideas that can be communicated through stories. So I was really in my, in my element. But when I graduated, or as I approached graduation, rather, I realized that uh, I really wasn't prepared to do anything in terms of a career. And as I started thinking about um, what I might do, what I could do, what I was prepared to do or inclined to do, uh, what I really wanted to do was to tell stories, but I didn't have stories of my own. I didn't have worldly experience. I had a certain amount of book smarts, but not much in the way of street smarts. And so this idea began to coalesce. And when I graduated, I strapped on a backpack and went off hitchhiking across the United States. Um, needless to say, my, my parents were not thrilled with that idea. It was the, um, the 1984, 1983, 1983. And uh, it was not something that was common anymore. There were a lot of uh, a lot of hitchhikers in the '60s and '70s, but it was pretty rare by the time I did it. I, uh, probably wasn't the wisest plan. I certainly wouldn't recognize it. I uh, wouldn't recommend it rather these days. 
But it gave me the opportunity to put myself in a situation where I could never really know what to expect. Um, I really had to face the unknown, which is something I had not done in my life before. And it also gave me the opportunity to recognize and discover that when I got in the car and I wanted to demonstrate my gratitude to the drivers by giving them what they wanted and very often what they wanted was uh, someone to listen. And I found that active listening is really, it really means paying attention to what people are saying, letting them feel that you're that you're hearing them, not thinking about what I'm going to say next or how I'm going to reply or how I'm going to, to tell my story, but simply letting them tell their story. And when you listen that way, you hear more and you discover more. And by learning more about other people, I learn more about myself. And after about half a year hitchhiking, I, I crossed the Atlantic, went, went backpacking across Europe, and eventually I ended up in Israel. And that's where I connected with my Jewish roots. I always knew I was Jewish, but I never really knew what it meant um, had no Jewish education whatsoever. And I was astonished to discover this vibrant culture of deep ideas and, and, uh, and high ideals. And it really changed the trajectory of my life. I was not expecting to find something of great meaning there. Or, you know, I, I always fancied myself a, a seeker of truth, but, you know, it's very cool to be seeking truth. It's, it's kind of, it's not kind of arrogant to say I found the truth, but this was the truth that I found that I was looking for. I ended up spending nine years in Israel um, studying, became a rabbi, um, my wife, had her first two children, and then I embarked upon my career teaching high school. Uh, I wanted to impart to Jewish teenagers the wisdom that I had found to help them discover their their truth, their meaning, their purpose in life. What really stood out to me in this beginning part of your story here, Yonason, is the fact that, I mean, most people when they graduate college, they start doing the job hunt. I mean, they settle down, they start looking for a place to live, somewhere they can live for the next at least few years to kind of, kind of establish their trade or their profession, um, especially for somebody majoring in English. You would think that your path would have taken you to... I don't know, some newspaper that you could go write for, or heck, you can go settle down and be a teacher right off the bat. But it seems to me that you kind of took a different approach from what the general aspect and what I guess the general population would think is the correct path after college. And you said it yourself, I mean, your parents were obviously a little concerned about you for going down that route, but what made you decide to kind of put your studies, at least through the books aside for the time being and actually start traveling and like you said, go on these hitchhiking road trips and eventually make your way to Europe and then to Jerusalem and all these different places. What, what led you to that? I grew up in a very comfortable upper middle class home. <clears throat> now, we, we, weren't, uh, we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but we were quite comfortable. My father was a successful, successful businessman. And I never really lacked for anything seriously. Um, and life was very comfortable. And because of, you know, all the gurus today tell us we have to get out of our comfort zone. Well, why don't we do that more? Because it's uncomfortable. And yet that's how we grow. That's how we learn about the world. That's how we discover um, about ourselves. We find out who we are. And, you know, it's kind of a cliche, and it was certainly a cliche back then, the idea of finding yourself. And so we 
you know, I don't, I don't like to use a cliche because it sounds very trite, but we all are on a, a mission of self-discovery. Uh, a great rabbi once said, we don't have to change. We just have to uncover who we actually are. And uh, while I hadn't heard that idea at the time, I had an innate sense that I really needed to break out of this bubble that I had lived in. And I really had to challenge myself. I had to put myself in uncomfortable situations. Um, I was I was pretty shy. Um, I, I was very much a, a creature of, of routine. And, and I just felt that if I wanted to fully develop as a human being, that I was going to have to put myself in these, in these difficult situations. And, and then the other element that I mentioned is I wanted to write. And, and writing is communication. It's telling stories. It's communicating ideas. And I didn't have any great ideas to communicate that were my own. I didn't have any compelling stories to tell that were my own. And so I really felt that this was something that was necessary for me to develop and, and fulfill my potential and find the purpose to which I wanted to dedicate my life. And you know, I'm glad you prodded me a little bit because I think that's really the, the essence of, of my story. It's the pursuit of purpose. We talk a lot about the pursuit of happiness. And, and I just published an article on this recently that you know, if you pursue happiness, you're probably not going to catch it. You're probably not going to find it because happiness emerges natural, naturally from living a life of purpose. And so why do I exist? What am I doing in this world? Why am I here? How can I use my unique talents, abilities, and opportunities to really bring something of value to the world? Not because I'm a pure altruist, but because that's ultimately what's going to fulfill me in my life. That's ultimately what's going to turn me into a successful human being is I'm making the contribution to the world that I'm uniquely positioned to make. Do you think that unique position that you yourself can put on the world and granted, I mean, every single person has that ability. We're all so unique. I, I always like using the example of a snowflake because there's not a single snowflake according to scientists that um, have ever been the exact same. And so I always like that concept because I like picturing us as um, our own personal snowflakes in the sense that we all have our own journeys. We all have our own abilities to help the world in our own ways. But kind of like you mentioned, I mean, we still have to find that within ourselves. Your journey took you from, obviously, we didn't talk about your younger years, but you had your younger years leading up to UC Davis. You had this amazing journey that you went on to kind of discover more about yourself and put yourself in real world applications and whatnot. But where was kind of the tipping point for you when you kind of realized that I, as a person, can actually make a difference on somebody's life? I can make a difference on the world. And it's not just something I can learn in a book, but I can actually apply it into the real life. I think I always had that sense that I was, that I was in this world to accomplish something, uh, to, to, uh, to create something, um, not just to take up space, not just to survive, not just to make a living. And I don't know when, you know, that really developed into a concrete idea. I think it came from being a reader. I mean, I was reading at a very young age. And the stories that inspired me were the stories of people who were, um, who were seekers, who were uh, discoverers, 
literally or figuratively. And so when I got towards the end of my college career and I'm thinking about what do I want to do with my life? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't just about having a job and making money. I mean, I got grown up in a, in a home that was very comfortable. We had everything we needed to be comfortable. And, and I never felt particularly happy. I wasn't unhappy. I just didn't feel that there was really much to my existence. And if it wasn't clear to me what I was going to do with my life, then I was going to have to spend the beginning of my life figuring out, go look for that sense of mission and purpose. And I had no idea what I was going to find. I had, I had really no preconception. I didn't, I didn't profoundly believe in anything, didn't profoundly believe in God or, or, or religion or, um, or any particular political philosophy. I was just on a, on a search for discovery. Now, you know, some people definitely have a clearer vision of who they are, what they want to accomplish, what their talents are, and what they want to do with them. And that's great. If you've, uh, if you think you know where you're, where you're headed in life, go for it. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of, I want to make money. Um, I want prestige. I want comfort. Um, I want to fit somebody else's vision of what my life should be. Um, that we can actually end up you know, making compromises in our choices without necessarily realizing that we're making compromise, compromises. I mean, don't be afraid to set your sights on the mountaintop. As every one of us has, has the potential to do something extraordinary. And Jonasin, what would you say to somebody who was kind of on the same path as you? I mean, you obviously mentioned that you knew you could make some kind of difference. You knew there was a path that life was kind of leading you towards whether people call that God, whether they call it some guiding spirit or just by divine fate, however people have to coin that term in their own sense. But how would you suggest someone can go about starting their own personal journey if they don't know where to begin? You know, there, there's a tool that we have today that is of extraordinary value if we use it responsibly. And that tool is YouTube. Or if you want to broaden it a little bit, podcasts. There are so many voices of authentic wisdom out there. If we get over the, the sort of intellectual junk food of people telling us what we want to hear, of people giving us simplistic views of the world, uh, of people just trying to entertain us rather than really give us something to think about. I mean, you can go on and you can find people, really, really bright people. Um, and they, they'll, they'll have two, three hour conversations about really profound ideas. I mean, you know, go and go and listen to, to Jordan Peterson's maps of meanings, map maps of meaning, uh, series. I mean, it, it's, if it doesn't blow your mind, you're just not paying attention. <laughs> uh, 
such deep ideas about human psychology, about culture. And, you know, he's, he's become a, a polarizing figure, not, not, I think, because of anything he says, but because he has a message of personal responsibility. And, and unfortunately, there are people who really don't like that message. But you know, if, you don't, if he's not your cup of tea, there are plenty of other people out there who are, who are just so thoughtful, so deep, and seek them out. And you, know, you can find teachers everywhere to get you to think about life in new ways. Um, there's there's you know, great literature out there that is full of, of you know, subtext and, and philosophical messages. It, it really, the, 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 the trick is to be willing to entertain ideas that don't l- lend themselves to our way of thinking naturally. Now, when I talk about, I talk about ethics, I teach ethics, I train ethics, I give speeches about ethics. And the key to ethics is being able to see both sides of a, of a, of a story, be both sides of an issue before I make a judgment. But we are conditioned to immediately respond to whatever conforms to our preconceptions and immediately reject whatever conflicts with our preconceptions or with our, with our identity groups or our labels. Um, you know, it's, it's an increase. I mentioned, you know, alluded to this earlier, that, that universities today um, are, are not the you know, forums for open thought that they once were. There's a lot more indoctrination going on. I mean, I had a professor in Shakespeare who encouraged us to argue with him. And, and I loved his class. It was the, by far the best class I took in my entire career. And, 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 and it shaped my thinking. You know, here's a teacher. He's up there. His job is to convey information. And he wants me to argue with him because he understands that the back and forth is what generates a deeper understanding. That's the, that's the, the, the style of thinking, of, of reasoned debate, of inquiry that really develops our capacity for wisdom. And Jonasen, I really appreciate you being able to dictate that so clearly. I feel like, I mean, my podcast is aimed towards college students. And so that message is definitely something that a lot of us need to hear. It's that it's okay if we disagree with one another, but the beautiful point and the, the ethical point, as you mentioned it as, is to hear both sides of an argument before you make an opinion hear both reasons, both sides of reason here and understand something before we come to our own conclusions. And how would you recommend that college age students, and I guess this principle can be applied to anyone, any age at all. How would you recommend in today's climate where people are so quick to judge and not listen? How would you suggest that we as a society in general can kind of take a step back and really perform the more ethical approach of listen, then acknowledge, and then come to your own conclusions. And like you said, I mean, sometimes that comes to disagreement, but it's always disagreement or it should be disagreement out of respect. So do you have any suggestions on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from the business guru, Jim Rohn. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And <clears throat> that's really something to reflect on. 
Because if you surround yourself with people who simply repeat or regurgitate slogans and reaffirm the same ideas and shut down um, questioning and inquiry, then you're going to become that kind of a person. Now, when you're in college, uh, you have a, you may have a problem. Uh, you want to pass your classes. <laughs> and in order to do that, I mean, I, I told you about my, my Shakespeare professor. You know, he loved it when we argued with him. I had a professor in Chaucer who was just the opposite. He just wanted us to regurgitate what he told us. He, wanted, he stood up, he pontificated, and he wanted us to spit it back. And so that's what I did in his class. But I can't remember a single thing he taught me. Whereas the other professor, Shakespeare professor, he changed my life. So sometimes you have to go along to get along. If you're in a, if you're in a class and, you're, and your teacher insists that you simply repeat what he told you or she told you, um, okay, you can go along with that to get the grade. But at least be aware what you're doing and seek out peers. There are going to be other college students. <clears throat> and again, don't make this political. This is not a, a conservative liberal issue. Um, it's not a Republican Democrat issue. But seek out peers who want to actually talk things through, who actually want to be around people who think differently from them. Because that's how we... That's how we understand more deeply. That's how we get a check on our own ideas. If my if I can't articulate to you my point of view so that you accept it, even if you don't agree with it, and I don't want to say accept it, I say understand it. Or you can say, okay, I may not agree with you, but I, I accept the internal consistency of your argument and vice versa. Those are the people you want to be around. And then you, there probably still are some professors. I had professors that, that they would uh, go, go to the coffee house after class. And, and they would, they would um, you know, have, have casual conversations with their students, not about the classroom curriculum, but just about whatever they wanted to talk about. If you can find a professor like that and attach yourself to someone like that, who's not trying to indoctrinate you with his or her worldview, but is trying to stimulate engaged conversation, thoughtful conversation, so that we can examine our ideas more clearly, that we can refine them so that we can come to a deeper sense of truth. I mean, that's priceless. But certainly, whether it's in your dorms or in your, in your, um, you know, in, in your, in your departments, um, I worked for a year as a peer counselor. And I found a group of people that were you know, committed to wanting to help other people. And it was a wonderful community to be involved with. And you know, we sat around and we talked about psychology. We talked about our lives. We talked about we counseled each other more than we counseled other people. You want to develop those kinds of relationships that are really going to stretch you to think more deeply, to be exposed. Uh, I'll give you one example. Um, there is this one fellow who uh, was in this counseling group, and he was uh, he was a little bit of a hippie. The hippies were already pretty much <laughs> uh, extinct, but he was a holdover from the hippie era. And his dream was to go to India and give up everything that he owned 
and live among the poor so that he would um, create a new place in the middle class for others to move up into. And this was his dream. It wasn't my dream, but it was his dream. And another young woman said to him, you've got it all backwards. What I want to do is I want to get out of the middle class moving upward. Because then that, I won't be adding to the number of poor. I'll be clearing a space for and creating a vacuum for, for more people to move up into that space. Now, you can agree, you could disagree, you can think whatever you want. But to be able to have people who are going to come up with these kinds of ideas and think about how is my choice of a lifestyle going to contribute to making the world a better place while simultaneously allowing me to succeed to the best of my potential. I mean, those are the kinds of, kinds of conversations you can really have in college that um, are hard to find anywhere else. So on that same note, Jonasin, and kind of as one of our last questions here, I got to ask you, I mean, there's a lot of people these days who struggle. And Grant, I think we all do a little bit here and then. But there's some people who really struggle on the concept of not being right. I mean, like you said, staying out of politics and whatnot, but just diving into any sort of conversation you can have with somebody. And I like that example you gave of your teacher who he kind of, he told you something and he almost wanted you just to regurgitate it back. He wanted you to say exactly what he said. But how would, what kind of advice would you offer to somebody who is kind of stuck in that mentality that if they're not right about a certain topic, then everybody has to be wrong, where they have to be the one right 24-7 and they can't let it go if they're not correct. What kind of advice could you leave them and what kind of things could this person, this type of person do to overcome that challenge? Well, let me give you a couple of quotes uh, from my other favorite English teacher. Um, he said, I've never understood people who complained about being disillusioned. I would like to be relieved of my illusions. And I heard him say that, I guess it's been about um, almost 45 years. And, and I repeat it constantly because it's just such a, a powerful thought. If I'm wrong, do I want to discover that I'm wrong so that I can start being right? Or do I want to conceal that I'm wrong so I can pretend that I'm right? I mean, it should be a no-brainer. And if we, if we are so caught up, and I mean, I've been there too. We go through phases where, where we're, we're developing, where we feel that um, you know, we're, 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 we're on, the, on the brink of some kind of a breakthrough. We're not quite there yet. And we're, our egos are very much wrapped up in the sense, oh, I really want to get it right. I really want to be right uh, because that'll be a sign of my success. But you know, there, there are so many examples uh, you know, Winston Churchill said that success is going from, from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Um, you know, the, 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 the wisdom that's available uh, through the ages. Um, one of the great uh, rabbis um, in the last generation said that all extremism and fanaticism is, a, is caused by a lack of security. 
A secure person cannot be an extremist. <clears throat> and when you listen to what passes for debate in the country right now, the slogans, the sound bites that are really lacking of substance, the refusal to engage in serious, um, thoughtful argument. Um, I mean, what are they calling this, this era? They're calling it the post-truth era. I mean, that should be terrifying to everybody especially a college student. Do you want to be part of the post-truth era? I mean, what could be worse? Someone said that we're not, we're not making um, fact-based decisions anymore. We're indulging in decision-based facts. We decide what truth we want, what we want to be truth, and then we find the evidence that supports that, which is exactly backwards. So, yeah, it's, it's a complicated time to be in because you're going to find a lot of people that are going to attack you for disagreeing with them, that are going to call you names for resorting to facts and logic to defend your position. Those aren't the people that you want to be spending your time with. And if you have a, if you have a professor like that, okay. You know, keep your head down, do your work, get your grade and move on. But when you find, whether it's professors or peers that are, are willing to really hash out issues, who really want to get to the truth or who have the intellectual integrity and the intellectual humility to say, you know, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Maybe there's a side I haven't examined yet. Maybe this issue is more nuanced more complimented. Maybe there are two legitimate sides to this issue, because often there are. Those are the people that you really want to hang on to. And when you create a community around yourself of people like that, you're going to be insulated from the, from the insecurity that arises when you're surrounded by people who just want to be right regardless of what the truth actually is. Well, thank you for those words, Jonasin. And that's something I think, whether you're a college student or younger or older, if you hear them, it's something that we can all apply into our lives. And Jonasin, I'll ask you, this is kind of the final question here. I do this with every single guest I have on the podcast, but if you were to offer one final piece of advice or words of wisdom, what would it be and why? In my TED talk, I, I quote King Solomon that iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens the, the mind of another. What does that mean? It means that if you want your, your knife or your sword to be sharp, that comes from the friction of rubbing against another blade. And we're in, a, we're in a time now where we are so obsessed with comfort and convenience and, and instant gratification. Um, you know, there's a book that came out a few years ago. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I may not be pronouncing Nassim Taleb, I think. I may not pronounce that quite right. It's called Anti-Fragile. And he said that, that parents today are, and schools today are trying to insulate their children, insulate young people from any kind of discomfort. And, and it does a tremendous disservice. 
because there are some things that are fragile. If you don't treat them well, they break. There are other things that are solid. You can bang them around. They're not really going to, to, to care one way or the other. But human beings are what he calls anti-fragile. We get stronger by being tested. We get stronger by encountering difficulties. And we get sharper too. And don't I want to be sharp? In other words, one of the reasons we're so insecure is because we really haven't had to articulate our ideas. You know, we talk about having a half-baked idea. That's uh, okay. I mean, especially in college, that's what college is for. Experiment, explore, throw out ideas that might be wacky because maybe there's a kernel of truth in there that you can refine, you can sharpen, you can polish. I don't be afraid to be wrong. You just heard from Rabbi Yonason Goldson on his views with ethics, trying different viewpoints, and experimenting in your life. I'd like to thank Yonason for joining us on today's episode of the Get Over Yourself podcast. Guys, if you found anything useful in today's episode, make sure to leave us a positive review and share this episode with someone who might need to hear it. I'm going to leave you the same way I leave you every single week. Just remember, it'll all be okay. Just take a step back and analyze your viewpoints and adjust them accordingly. 